Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. We find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I'll be honest with you, this sermon started out in 1 Samuel chapter 12. How do you go from 1 Samuel chapter 12 to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, this is where uh, they got their first king. Um, Through the ignorance of God's word, the people ended up getting a king from the tribe of Benjamin. And according to Genesis 49.10, from which tribe was the future ruler of Israel going to come? Judah. I'm glad to hear that some of you are not as biblically ignorant as they were, because when they got the guy that, oh, this is great, not only is he tall and handsome, you know, he's a celebrity. Now, he didn't think that of himself, at least for a little while, but... uh, The example that I was catching there was these people are biblically ignorant. They don't get it, and they're allowing a king to be chosen that is not supposed to be the guy, all because they want a king like everybody else. So in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel says, Okay, guys, now that this has all happened, tell me, what did I do wrong? And of course, when he gave them all an opportunity, uh, you you didn't do anything wrong. We're not sure we like your sons very much, but you know, you know. And uh, he goes, now, let me tell you what it's going to be like. Now that you got the king that you chose. I don't know about you, but when God says things like that in the word of God, it's kind of like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How did this king get chosen? The casting of the lots. What does the Bible say about the casting of the lots? God is the one that determines how that's going to come out every single time. And they get blamed for choosing the king. They chose the timing. Therefore, God gave them what they deserved in their choosing. They're, in essence, accountable for choosing the wrong king. So Samuel goes through all the things that are now going to happen. Higher taxes, bigger government. None of that sounds familiar to any of us. But I saw saw where this is a perfect example of where we find ourselves today. A few weeks back, Pastor talked about, why do you look for the living among the dead? I don't know about you, but that was a good message from the Word of God. A lot of great applications for us today. And the reality is, is I think it's still a good reminder that we need to be careful that we're not looking like the world is for some kind of a salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Now, why would we be doing that? Well, why were they looking for a king? Because they had one. It was God. Nowadays, There's a bunch of people that are being slotted in a particular folder called Christian nationalists. These people want to implement the law of God in the United States. And it's kind of like, I know some of those guys, they are not Christian nationalists. They're Christian. They're preachers. They're pointing out that according to the Constitution, based on the Word of God, a lot of these things have been law in the past, and it was really us turning away from God that said, yeah, we don't need that stuff anymore, and they'd like to get back to, this is what this country is based on. Not the law of the Old Testament, but law based on who the character of God is, uh, who God is and what his character is like. So that brings us to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 through 14. First point I'd like you to see in your outline there is uh, the word examples. In verse 6 and verse 11, he says, Now these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. And then in verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as warnings to us on whom the end of the age has come. 
So uh, when we're considering this passage, we understand two times in 11 verses, uh, we have the concept of examples. So let's take a look at that in your uh, outline. The comparisons in the examples listed here, these people were baptized into Moses. Uh, The scripture teaches in Romans chapter 6 that we are baptized into Christ. Now, the concept of being baptized is not the dunking into the water. Uh, but let's use the dunking into the water to explain the whole thing. We have a baptismal back here. We fill it up. It has cold water in it. Pastor gets in, breathes deeply, <gasps> and then tries to talk with a bass voice like normal. Uh, and then, of course, the person comes in. He asks them a question. They uh, hopefully say the right things. And then he says, I baptize you, my brother, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptized into the likeness of his death, raised again in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a picture, both for us as a reminder and for them to help them understand what happened. When a person gets saved, they're a new creature. The old is gone. Why? Because it died with Christ. And all things have become new. Why? Because we're raised to walk in newness of life. There's a new master, a new power, a new heart, a new spirit, the spirit of God in that person, okay? It's an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection. So these people were baptized into Moses. They became associated with Moses. Moses led them out of Egypt. Did he really? He was the instrument by which God led them out of Egypt, okay? Uh, He uh, brought them through the Red Sea. Did he really? He was the instrument that God used to widen the Red Sea and allow them to walk across on dry ground. Who did all of the work? God did. Boy, that's, one, that's a good answer for a lot of things. God did. You know, who made you a boy? God did. Who made you a girl? God did. Whoa, that would answer a lot of problems in today's day and age. Oy vey. Uh, moving right along. So they go through the Red Sea. They've been baptized into Moses. They're associated with Moses. We have been baptized into Christ. We're associated with his death, burial, and resurrection. And that resurrection part's really important, not only for today's message, but for everyday living. Okay? So uh, the next thing we see here is they ate of the same spiritual food. Now for them, the food was the manna. Every morning they would get up and they'd go around and they were supposed to collect a certain amount for each person in the family. And that food was good for that day. If they kept it overnight the next morning, it was spoiled. It was no good anymore. Now what do we have? We have the Word of God. You know, I don't know about you, but for a lot of people, the concept of daily devotions is a difficult discipline. And we can give all the reasons that we want to, but it basically comes down to, I can live on yesterday's spoiled food. That's what it comes down to. I do not need this. God says, oh, yes, you do. Okay? Daily, we need to be getting into the Word of God. Now, I am speaking as someone who has not been super disciplined and becoming, as I'm growing in Christ and so on and so forth, and becoming much more disciplined in the daily intake of the Word of God. Why? Well, there's a variety of reasons, but here's one for you. Someday we're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to give an account for the things done in this body, whether they be honoring and glorifying to God, or whether they be absolutely useless from eternity's perspective. Now, I know the Bible verse doesn't say that. It says good or bad. I was just defining good and bad for you. Okay? So the reality is, is the only thing that you can do that is good or that has eternal value is that which is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in each one of us that are born again. But we need to learn how to walk with Him. Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're not walking in the Spirit, what are you doing? You're fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Yeah, but I'm not out there involved in sexual immorality or anything like that. I totally understand. You're just doing stuff that has no eternal value. Why? Because you can't do anything that has any eternal value. 
You need the power of the Spirit of God to do that. That's why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. And just in case you didn't understand how that works, Colossians 3.16, parallel passage, all of the same results. What does it say? It says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. A few years back, there was a two-minute Bible, a devotional Bible for busy people. I'm sorry, that's not richly. And since it's not richly, are you going to be filled with the Spirit? You can, but chances are it'll be God's intervening in your life, not because you have let the Word of God dwell in you richly. So we need the manna on a day-to-day basis, over and over and over again. I was at a church... It was the last week, week four, for my grandson's uh, baptism. And uh, the pastor went on and talked uh, about Revelation 5.1, I think it was. And uh, who is worthy to open the scroll and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there was nobody found. His first point was, you are unworthy. Can I tell you something? Most of us live as though I have something to offer to God. No. You really don't. You know, he'll use you as a tool. It can be a dull tool or it can be a sharp tool. You might be able to choose that part, okay? But uh, he, he's going along in his message and he goes, now I know most of you here have not read the New Testament all the way through. And I'm thinking to myself, what? You haven't read the New Testament? I'm not talking about the Old Testament, the New Testament all the way through. And he goes on to explain, look, if you only read two chapters a day, you can do it in six months. I go, I remember the year I read the Bible four times cover to cover in one year. Six months for the New Testament? Now, I'm not bragging when I say that. As a pastor, you should hope that I'm reading the Bible regularly and a lot. Why? Because I can get up here and say, here's how to live your best life now, like some other people. Okay? That's why you want me to be reading the Bible. You want pastor to be reading the Bible. Okay? We need to let it dwell in us richly. Why? Because we have to deal with you. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because you've got to deal with us. Ooh. So the Word of God. And then number three, unfortunately, we're not going to get through this message today. Number three, uh, drank of the same spiritual drink. In John 4, verse 14, Jesus says to the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I don't know about you, but this gets exciting because he's talking to this Samaritan woman, not accepted by the Jews, and he's referring to Isaiah, where God says, come unto me, instead of going to those broken cisterns, come unto me, and I'll give you water, and I'll give you food, and I'll give you everything you need, okay? And the reality is, is where do we go for our sustenance, for that which satisfies our thirst? Uh, NBA basketball finals, um, uh, NFL, uh, Blues, uh, Cardinals. Boy, is that not satisfying your thirst right now? Well, they won yesterday. I don't care. Okay. Uh, movies, uh, Netflix. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, do a whole series on Saturdays because I've got nothing else to do. Uh-huh. I understand. But they drank of the same spiritual drink. Notice they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Here we've, we've participated in receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? At least I sure hope you have. Okay? So you've got this well springing up, but it, it, it needs a, you need to go to it for that constant refreshment. You need to be walking in the power of that well that's coming up, or else uh, you just miss the boat. That brings us to letter B, the result. With most of them, God was not well pleased. The proof of that, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And with Moses, they were in the wilderness. Numbers 14.22 says, Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. 
They, are, they were negative examples, if you will. But we would never do that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Number two, other examples. In uh, the book of Joshua, we see in 1563 that uh, the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. In 1610, and they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites. In 1712, and the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. Uh, in 18.3, and Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has given you? Whole point being is in the book of Joshua, we see they could not drive them out. Which brings us to Joshua twenty three eleven to 15, which says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves. Watch out for yourselves. What are we going to watch out for? That you love the Lord your God, or else if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And it goes on. The whole point of this is they couldn't drive them out. Why not? Why couldn't they drive them out? Well, part of the reason is God said, I'm not going to let you drive them out too quickly. Why? There's not enough population to take care of the land. And before you know it, there'd be lions. And uh, that's a lot of fun. Okay. But the reality is, is they were by faith. They were supposed to persevere. And as their uh, population increased, they were supposed to take care of these people, kick them out of the land, kill them, whatever the case may be. And of course, in today's society, we're worried about, see, God just believed in genocide. It's kind of like, no, he gave them 430 years to repent, and they didn't. He was giving them their just reward. I get so sick and tired of this woke generation, many of them calling themselves Christians, thinking that somehow God makes mistakes. No, he really doesn't. He really, really doesn't. Those people had 430 years, and they refused to repent. When you come to the New Testament, what about the religious leaders of that day? How often would I have gathered you as a, a chick with her uh, uh, hen with her chicks, but you would not? Those people knew there was a, 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 the book of Daniel. They knew there was a Messiah coming. And yet when he came, nah, nah, we don't like this guy. We want someone that's going to conquer Rome. See, unfortunately, we're not a whole lot different than the people of Joshua's time. We get saved and we struggle with particular sins for how long? Now, I'm speaking as someone who's done this. I'm not speaking as someone that grew up in the church and I was a good boy and you all ought to be like me. Uh-uh. I struggled with particular sins for how long? Why? First reason, I liked them. Second reason, I didn't have the faith to believe God. How does faith grow? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You want to overcome whatever sinful practice you know you're still involved in? You need to be inundated with the Word of God. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Okay? Uh, we'll go on here. Uh, his warning to them. And then, of course, there's a few more verses in Judges where we find out they did not. Uh, Judges 1.19. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. 21. But the children of De Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. 27 to 36. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shem and its villages. Uh, 29. Nor did the Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. 30. Nor did, the Zebul uh, did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites who, uh, or the inhabitants of Citron. 31. Nor did Asher drive out, the and it goes on. Whole point being is, wow, they, they didn't get the job done that they were told to do. And Joshua's specific warning was, 
love God. The rest of it will take care of itself. They didn't take care of the rest of it. What does that tell you? God wasn't number one in their lives. They didn't love him with all their hearts. If we're struggling with dealing with things, I, I love hearing people say, I love Jesus. I love him so much. That's nice. How's your life? Because I struggle. When, when I read, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind, I go, can we put a, like a percentage on that? And it's not because I want to. It's because I, I realize this is the truth in my life. Do I get it right sometimes? By the grace of God, hallelujah. But chances are, most of the time, I love me. Okay, moving on. The book of Judges. There's seven cycles of sin, oppression, and deliverance. 1 Samuel 12 brings out a couple of those in verses 9 to 11. Uh, they, uh, their, their response to the seven cycles, uh, we need a king. You know who we really need to get to uh, say our point of view? We need a celebrity. Uh, how many times have we seen celebrities come to know Christ as Savior? There's at least a profession of faith. And uh, because as a church or as churches, we don't believe in discipleship anymore, this celebrity has made a profession of faith. We're going to put them right in front of everybody and get them to talk about Jesus. And they do. And then what happens? They're found at a motel with a prostitute, a gun, and some drugs. And if you think I'm joking, that's Michael Irvin, uh, you know, 15 years ago. He supposedly came to faith, gave his testimony of coming to faith in a Super Bowl uh, halftime show. And it wasn't a couple of months later that he was at a motel with a prostitute, drugs, gun. Now, was he guilty? I don't know. I just know that he shouldn't have been shoved in front of everybody. Why? Because you don't put a novice out there. Why? Because Satan will tempt him. He's going to fall on his face. Exactly what happened. And yet we still look to celebrities. We want someone that's of renown to voice our position because, well, they won't listen to us. Who cares? Do they really need to know your position? They need to know about Jesus. But do they need to know you're a conservative? Probably not, but your life probably will show it. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Okay, so let's move on to the result of not putting God first. Uh, in the book of Kings, first you start with the United Kingdom. You have Saul, wrong guy, but hey, that's what you get. Then you get David, God's choice. Uh, David didn't always do it right. We all know that. Then you get Solomon. Uh, I, I really love reading Proverbs. Uh, I might start a series on Proverbs after I get down, uh, done with my series on the Gospels uh, or on the Gospel. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you can catch that on Facebook Live Sunday nights. Uh, but uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Solomon is basically saying, look, guys, I've lived a long life. I have done it all. And when I say all, I mean all. Okay, you know, A-L-L. Okay? And while I was doing it all, I was using the wisdom that God gave me. And here's what I'm going to tell you. After having done it all, fear God and keep His commandments. That's the best thing you can do. And what do we think? We think, boy, if I could just be a star like J-Lo... Well, not me. Someone else would think that. Um, no. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the best thing you can do. You will find more satisfaction in life doing that than anything else. Okay? Uh, so Solomon figured it out. So uh, because of Solomon not being able to pass some of that wisdom on to his children, isn't that hard, moms and dad? It's kind of like you learn a few things, you want your kids to get it, and they go... You're old. We don't need to listen to you anymore. <laughs> kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Rehoboam was a dingbat, and uh, he listened to his young friends rather than older men. And so the kingdom is divided. The northern uh, ten tribes, they had 19 kings. Every single one of them was an evil, oppressive, 
Democrat. I mean, um, uh, king. Uh, the southern two tribes, they had 12 bad kings and eight good kings. There was some relief when the people cried out in repentance to God. They would come up with a new king, and he was a good guy for a little while. But before long, in their comfort, they returned to their various forms of idolatry, etc. And then you have the exile, of course. And in the post-exilic era, uh, you have the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. Uh, some people would throw Esther in there, but she's actually during the exile. Uh, about 70 years apart from Ezra 1 to Ezra 6. And they're in the middle of that. Uh, after, uh, Ez when Ezra and Nehemiah are printed, we see a problem with the people. There's a fear of enemies. And because of that fear of the enemies, that which they had been given permission to do by Cyrus, rebuild the temple. They got the foundation laid, and then they sat there for 20 years. And while they sat there for 20 years, they used the materials that were dedicated to the building of the temple to make their own homes nicer. Why? Because they were afraid of the people. And then, of course, we have in both the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, they were marrying uh, foreigners. And uh, it's kind of interesting, uh, various social media things that I'm involved in. Um, I, I see all these women complaining that American men are now going overseas to find wives. Why? Because they might get a wife that is actually acting like a wife instead of some a feminist that thinks that she's the man of the relationship. Uh, go figure, you know. But here these guys were going and finding foreigners, unbelievers, and marrying them. Why did they go into exile, according to both Ezra and Nehemiah? Because they were marrying foreigners and getting involved in their idolatries. And here they are going down the same path even though they've been in slavery for the last 70 years. Uh, not only that, the rich were oppressing the poor. We think we're in a new age where the elites can do all these things to all of us uh, middle class or lower middle class people, and it's horrible. Uh, it's been going on for years, okay? And not just here in America, all over the world. What does socialism and communism ultimately produce? But a rich class and a poor class. And if you're a young person here going to public school and you thought that, that uh, socialism was a good idea, study your history, okay? Don't just listen to your teachers. Study your history. It never has worked. It never will work. Uh, that brings us to the 400 silent years where... Ezra, who started a good thing, uh, synagogues and the study of the law, uh, ultimately what did it produce? The Pharisees, or Pharisaism, if you will. And uh, th when the Pharisees came, you know, after the exile, Israel never struggled with idolatry again. Never. In the sense of bowing down to an idol and worshiping false gods. But when God showed up on the scene, there was no bowing down. They didn't see him for who he was. Why? Because they were so caught up in their own traditions that they missed it completely. Okay, tell us the truth. If you're the Messiah, tell us, I am. Rip clothes, scream, let's get him crucified. Okay? So that brings us to the backside of your outline hey, we might get done after all. What should we learn from their examples? Well, in 6 through 10, Paul writes that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. <laughs> in, in the context, we're, we're going back to Numbers 11. Uh, well, let, me, let me read Numbers 11 here for you. I've got to find out what page I have that on. There it is. Now, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded uh, to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics, but now our whole being is dried up. There is none at all to accept this manna before our eyes. <laughs> Psalm 106, 13 to 15. 
and soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, and he gave them their requests. But he sent leanness to their souls. So notice, we're not supposed to lust after evil things like they lusted. Here's the evil thing. Meat. What? There's a new diet out. Well, I don't know how new it is, but it's called the carnivore diet. I've been thinking about trying it. (laughs) I like meat. Uh, Every now and again, uh, Dave and Linda and Lynn and I will go over to St. Charles to uh, Tucano's. It's a Brazilian restaurant. They bring the meat out on a spit and they slice off a slice for you. And we say, come on, keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Dave does not even get a salad. There is no reason to waste his stomach space on salad. I get a salad, uh, you know, never mind. But uh, I like meat. What's the problem with meat? Well, notice, the problem here is the desire for something more than trusting in God. Something, I want this more than, I just want to trust God. God will take care of me. I was listening to uh, the Word of God on, uh, on my Bible app. And, you know, there's a place where Jesus walks into a town. There's a fig tree there. <laughs> I love this passage because it's not the season for figs. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going someplace like Eckert's and it's not the season for apples, what do I expect to find on the trees? Nothing. Okay? Jesus goes over to the tree. There's no figs. Duh. And he curses the tree. I'm going, yo, dude, what's the issue here? Well, figs are a little bit different than apples. Figs will grow on the tree and they will hang there until the following season when the new blossom pushes the old fig off. Now, since there were leaves on this tree, leaves are a sign of life. They're representative of good works, both in the Old and the New Testament. But there was no fruit. There was no spiritual life, if you will. And that tree, that fig tree, was representative of Israel. They had all kinds of works. They had no life in them, no spiritual life. So he cursed the tree, and and the disciples, you know, they go into town. He's already cursed the tree. They come back out of town. It is wilted. It's dried up. That thing is dead. And they go, yo, Lord, did you see that tree? It's kind of like, yeah, so what's the issue? He says, you can say to this mountain, rise up and be cast into the sea, and it'll do it. Tell me, what reason might God pick up a mountain, cast it into the sea, because you said so? He says, if you ask anything in faith, Believing. It'll happen. Now, we like to put some stuff on that to calm your expectations. Well, it's got to be according to the will of God. You might remember the movie uh, Jim Carrey is given some of God's... uh, Was that? No, not Majestic. The one where he answers prayer on God's behalf. And he just says yes to everybody. And everybody was praying that they would win the lottery. So everybody got 15 cents because he said yes. Um, I recognize that sometimes God prevents us from getting the things that we want because it might be hurtful. But does that mean that we can't ask for something that we want and in faith expect that God is going to take care of business. Now, I'm not talking about a name it, claim it type thing. I'm just saying we try and calm everybody's expectations down. What did he say? If you ask anything in faith, you'll get it. Then what did he mean? Well, you'll get it if I want you to get it. You'll get it if you put the little tag on the end of your prayer, in the name of Jesus. No, he said anything. Now, do I need to be discerning and careful what I'm asking for? And should I always submit my desire to his will? For certain. But maybe we ought to take advantage and ask God for things that might be good and stop not believing. Oh, God would never do that for me. 
Why not? Well, I don't have my life totally correct yet. Oh, he waited until you got it totally correct before he saved you, huh? See what I'm saying? Just challenging you to think a little bit, okay? You may come to a conclusion that we're right by diminishing the expectations, but you may come to the conclusion that you need to be asking God for a little bit more, okay? So meet the desire for something more than trusting God. And back in Psalm 106, God gave them meat, and he sent leanness to their soul. You want to be careful what you're asking for, okay? Uh, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask, but submitting your will to his, okay, Lord, we're walking through the desert, and you're giving us this manna. Thank you for the manna. Sure would like to have a, a chicken once in a while. Well, wouldn't you know it? There's a Chick-fil-A right up the road, uh, moving right along. <clears throat> and do not become idolaters as some of them. And he goes on to say that the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Entertainment. I don't know about you, but we live in a culture, in a society, that entertainment is a big deal. Most of us, they say that the average of people on their phones per day is eight hours. Now, some of you are a little bit better disciplined, and you're saying, no, I only got five hours and 47 minutes. Uh, ho- hopefully, some of you are actually disciplined enough where you use that phone to call uh, and receive calls. Cool. Uh, Moody Bible Institute is putting on a, a fast this week, five days. Stay away from the internet. Now, uh, I'll be honest with you, if you work, chances are you're going to be using the internet. Uh, but do you need to be on your phone for eight hours a day? And I'm not talking about receiving calls. I'm talking about that internet, the apps, the games, all that kind of stuff. And they got May 1st through May 5th. Guess what happens on May 4th? National Day of Prayer. See, they're trying to get us to consider how are we using our time? Maybe we ought to be praying a little bit more. Maybe we ought to be reading the Bible a little bit more. Maybe we ought to be investing in our relationship with the Lord, that kind of thing. Something to think about. Why? Because we as Christians are just as caught up in the entertainment as everybody else. Uh, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. And if you read Numbers 25, it gives you a little bit of a background. In Psalm 106, uh, it recites the story again. And in both cases, you're going to see where 24,000 people died. Aha! There's an error in the Bible. No, there isn't. Uh, he says here, in one day, 23,000 died. In the other two passages, it took two days to kill 24. So a thousand people hung on for an extra day. That's all. No contradiction, no difficulty in one day or the event as a total. Okay? Nor let us tempt. Oh, let's go back to the sexual immorality for a minute. Um, Young people. I don't know how many times I've gone through premarital counseling with young people, and they're already sleeping together. Now we want to put God's stamp of approval on what we're already doing wrong. And I remember one young couple, their marriage lasted a year. Why? Based on all the wrong things. Okay? Um, The reality is, is, Sexual immorality is a problem in the church today. Statistics show, and this was 20 years ago, statistics showed that 67% of pastors have a problem with internet porn. And you're going to say, that's horrible. You're right, it is. Uh, Statistics today show that uh, guys that are 30 years old or younger, 79% of them are watching porn in some fashion uh, every week. Guess what the percentage is for girls, and those of you that heard it yesterday, keep your mouths closed. 76% for girls. You know, those guys are dogs. Yeah, they are. What do you call the girls? Uh, they're doing the same thing. Sexual immorality is a major issue in this culture, and it has infected people in the church. Now, look, I'm not sitting here to judge them. They're horrible people. They're not saved or anything like that. I'm just saying it's a problem. And the examples given to us is 
Don't do that. Why? Because it brought death to 23,000 people in one day because it was testing the Lord their God. Okay. Uh, he moves on. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. And they were destroyed by serpents. <laughs> uh, this is, again, one of those normally well-known stories. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, I'm not sure how well-known it is, but the people were complaining. No one here complains. I recognize that, except for your kids, right? Uh, but they were complaining. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, in everything, the word has not changed its meaning in 2,000 years. In everything, give thanks for this, what? The everything. Is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you? I just had a car accident. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It was the will of God that I had a car accident? gave you an opportunity to glorify Him. Can He do it a little bit less expensively? It's His car. Stop worrying about it. Go and ask Him in faith, believing. Maybe He'll take care of that thing for you. Okay? See, all these things kind of tie together. But they were complaining. And all of a sudden, a bunch of fiery serpents show up. Now, I don't know about you, but fiery serpent... Let's just say they were venomous, because if something's squirreling around with flames coming off it, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) But let's just say venomous, okay? And these people were getting bitten by venomous snakes, and they were dying. That was the judgment on complaining. So the next time your kid complains and you want to whack him upside the head, make sure you do it where there's not going to be a mark. But no, uh, come on, guys, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) okay? But the reality is, is they were just complaining. That's what we would say. It was just complaining. And God was killing them for it. Okay, why? Because they were tempting God. Ouch. And then he gives them a solution. Make this bronze snake, put it on a, a stick. I imagine it's a stick with a cross member so the snake could go up around it, looking kind of like that. And all they had to do was look. If they got bit by a snake, just look and live. I wonder how many people died after the snake was up. Why would I say such a thing? All you got to do is look and live. All you have to do is trust Jesus and receive eternal life. And how many people are dying without him? Ouch. Next point. Nor complain as some of them also complained. Ah, we have two different complaint sessions. One's about the leadership, and another one is about uh, whatever. Uh, and uh, they, it says here they were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, the penalty, death. Uh, again, we want to make it sound like the things that we're involved in are not that bad. The penalty, death, the wages of sin. What kind of sin? Yes, is death. We're all going to, we assume, unless the rapture happens, we're all going to pass from this world, expire, we're going to die. Why? Because of sin. You mean my sin brings death? No, Adam's sin brought death. You were born in Adam. Mom and dad are sinners. They reproduce after their own kind. You're either a boy or a girl, and you're a sinner. It shows itself relatively shortly after you're born. I need a diaper change. Get in here now. But I don't know how to communicate that, so I go, Wah! and you come, and you pick me up, and, and bounce me up and down a little bit, and then you smell so. Oh. You take care of business, and I'm happy now. I want food now! Ah! And then, if you think that's not sin, wait until they're about 18 months old, and they want to stick a fork into the outlet. Don't do that. And they go and do it again. They slap their hand. And they go and do it again. And you give them a good whooping. Get out the rubber hose. And what do they do? 
you say no and they look at you and they do it anyway. Why? Because they're sinners. They're choosing sin at this point. Do they understand the ramification of what's going to happen when they stick that thing in there? Can I tell you something? They will never stick that thing in there again if you let them succeed. I had a friend who had two boys, and he spanked them. He did everything he could. And finally, one day, he said, okay, be stupid. And they stuck it in there. Hair's all curly. They never stuck that fork in there again. Okay? Unfortunately, some of us are so twisted in our sinfulness that we will do something that will bring us harm. And we will not listen to someone who warns us. Oh. The penalty of sin is death. If you leave this world, die, without having trusted Christ, the penalty is the second death. But I wasn't that bad of a person. I don't care. The wages of sin is death. You don't have to be that bad of a person. You just can't be a good enough person to escape it. That's why God sent his son. Without him. Well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, so does the devil. Okay? It's not just a matter of knowing about him and saying, okay, cool. I have eight brothers and sisters. One of them has recently passed and gone on to oblivion. Seven more on their way. They've all heard the gospel, except for the one that went, because she decided to separate herself from the family years ago, even before I got saved. But every one of the rest of them has heard the gospel. And they see it occasionally on Facebook and stuff like that. Most of them don't even like to talk to me anymore. Why? Because I'm so bad at sharing the gospel. No, I hardly ever bring it up anymore. They're not interested. But they know I represent something they don't want anything to do with. And if they pass from the scene in that state, they will be in hell. And they will not be having a party with all of their friends. Because the wages of sin is death. To be separated from God's grace, from His love, from His presence. To experience pain, sorrow, anger, bitterness, whatever, for the rest of eternity. So let's bring it down to the purpose of these examples. They were written for our admonition. The word admonition is nuthesia. It's where we get the word nuthetic, the kind of counseling. Uh, it's calling attention to. It's a mild rebuke or warning. It's an admonition. The book of Proverbs, if you spend any time in Proverbs, you'll see that this is a, written by a father that is warning his son. You know, if these people come and they say, hey, let's do this. Don't listen to them. They are spreading a net that they're going to be caught in. Don't go that way. In fact, in chapter, I think it's chapter, that might be chapter 2. It could be chapter 4, uh, verse 15 or 16. Four times in one verse. Well, me too. It says, don't go with them. Don't get on that path. Don't go there. However you want to say it. Four times in one or two verses. It says, don't go there. Why? He's warning them. You go there, this is what's going to happen to you. But notice how he lays out the argument. He says, hey, if they come and say, if you put in your stuff with us, we're going to get rich. Ooh, okay. He puts that, lays that story out so the kid feels the urge to, okay. And then he says, and if you go there, this is what's going to happen. Oh, well, in that case, forget it. See, he's warning them. But he's also letting them feel the temptation. It's kind of like having a kid at the beach and they feel the wave come in and then they feel the wave pull on them to go out. And dad's right there to hold them. You don't want to let that happen. Okay? That's how the book of Proverbs is written. The word uh, nuthesia here, the verb form is used as an accept expectation of mutual accountability in the church. Let me read a few verses for you. Romans 15, 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. Where, where do we get goodness again? The work of God in us, not 
by ourselves, okay? They're full of goodness, so the work of God has been done in their life. They have the Spirit of God. They're full of it. Uh, It goes on, filled with all knowledge, so they're not biblically ignorant. It goes on, and also able to admonish or warn one another. So what's the expectation of each individual within the church? I'm going to be looking at your life. And if I see something that's off, we're going to, we're going to talk about it. Why? Because I don't want you to go through what's going to happen if you stay on that path. Now, I may come to you and start talking to you about it, and you may sit there and say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Uh, l- let me give you the whole story. Cool. Need the whole story to make good judgment, right? Well, what about judge not lest ye be judged? Yeah, and if you see your brother uh, taken in a sin, you go and anyone who has a spirit in them, you go meekly, kindly, and you restore such a one. The concept of warning is restoring them before they fall. So yeah, you're judging, but be careful that you do it properly, okay? Um, I, I know parents that let their kids dress inappropriately. And if you were to go and talk to them, it's kind of like, boy, you're awful judgmental. Or here's one I hear a lot. I don't want to lose my kid. Here's the answer for you. You already did. If they're following the world, and and I'm not talking about you have to dress like my wife. Uh, No, no, I'm not talking about that. Appropriate. Dads, step up. Okay? If your daughter is wearing a see-through skirt, but my wife, I don't care. Be the man. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Gave himself for it. Yeah, it'll be a hassle. I understand. I've been married 38 years. I understand, right, dear? <laughs> Probably get in trouble for this. No, I, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. Just saying. The, the reality is, is I've seen kids go the way of the world because mom and dad didn't put their foot down, didn't reach their heart with why they shouldn't. So be careful, okay? So able to admonish one another. And of course, uh, Colossians 3.16, uh, it says, where it is? There it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. So one of the aspects of being filled with the Spirit is we're talking to one another. We're, we're teaching each other stuff. We're warning each other of things. Why? Because the law of sin in us is still there. And the influences of the world and the devil on my flesh still drag me down the wrong path if given the opportunity. Okay? Uh, number two, it's used of Paul's ministry to the church in Acts twenty thirty one. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You can look up the other verses. Number three, it's used of the church's responsibility toward the erring brother. First Thessalonians five fourteen. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Uh, In 2 Thessalonians, same church, different letter. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but warn or admonish him as a brother. See, again, how are we going to be doing the warning? We're looking for restoration. You really don't want to be going there because it's only going to lead you into a path where God doesn't want you to be. And then number two, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Uh, The concept of the end of the ages uh, is found in Matthew 13, 39 to 40, verse 49, 24, 3, and 28, 20. Uh, The last days, if you will, uh, have been in existence since the time of Christ. Hebrews 1, 2 says, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Okay? So, Paul describes the last days as being dangerous. 2 Timothy 3.1 But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. 
perilous times. If you own an assault weapon, or you can shoot more than 12 bullets from that assault weapon, you need to let us know that you got one of them guns. And you got to change that magazine so it won't shoot more than 12. Because if you go into a place and shoot people, we only want you shooting 12 at a time. Now, I, I joke about this, but why would a government that for 200 and close to 50 years has said, you have the right, given by God, by the way, to defend yourself, why would a government not want you to be able to defend yourself? And the reality is, is because they're doing something that you might not like. They want to accomplish something that you might say, no. Okay? And I don't care which side of the issue you're on the, on an AR-15. Please understand, everything they tell you about an AR-15 in the news or from Congress on the left side of things is a bunch of lies. Okay? The bullet is that big when it goes in. And when it comes out, it comes out about that big. If it goes through you, there might be something that catches it, like a skull. <laughs> okay? My, my whole point being is they're lying to say, yeah, you shoot a deer with a 223 and it just explodes. It's a lie. But why do they want to get rid of these guns? In the end times, last days, be perilous times. Wow. Uh, how about Peter describes the people of the end times in 2 Peter 3.3. 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. And notice, they are walking according to their own lusts. What is the desire, the, the agenda of these people that want everybody vaccinated, everybody defenseless, everybody thinking that 1% of the population of this country is more important than everybody else. And I'm not talking about the rich. What's the agenda? Well, we got this reset thing going. They're having a hard time with it, but you know we're going to get it going. Hey, it's all part of God's plan. I, I recognize that. But I want you to understand, the people that are involved in it, they're scoffers. They're walking according to their own lusts. We want to be careful. We're not listening to them. Lynn uh, spent an hour yesterday talking to our neighbor. MSNBC tells the truth. Fox News lies. And she went on on every one of the subjects. And thankfully, my Lynn, my, my, Lynn, my wife, Lynn, uh, she, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They're not born that way. Look at what God says. Because the lady has some spiritual interests, but it's being clouded by MSNBC and the agenda of so many. Whole point being is, uh, in the King James Version, the last days is the end of the world. Uh, it's used for forever. It's world uh, used for never. Uh, the better translation is the end of the age, because we know that it's not going to end when Jesus comes back, Right? He's going to set up his kingdom. We're going to go for another thousand years at least. And I know some of you might not believe that. Uh, okay, you got your problems with your theology, just like uh, mine may have a couple too. But the reality is, is we're living at the end of the church age, not the end of the world. Okay? And then, what about eternity? Everybody likes to throw God into that box and have eternity look like Revelation 21 and 22. There are problems with that view. And I don't know what the answer is. Why? Because God hasn't revealed it all to us. But what can we say in the meantime? God has given us examples of how not to live. We find in the 21st century church, church people. You sit there and say, well, not here. Church people, some of them here, are doing the very things that the Israelites did. We're not any different. Now, here's the difficulty. We have the Spirit of God living within us. We have the power of the resurrection available to us to overcome sin. We're new creatures. And if you don't see a reason to change, you may not understand all of the 
implications of how that happens. I understand that. But if you don't see the reason to change, then one might ask, are you a new creation? I saw a TikTok of a Christian porn star. 35 years old, four kids. She wasn't making enough money as a school teacher. So she's a Christian porn star. We have gay Christians. No, we don't. We have Christians struggling with pornography. Struggling, magic word. Do you want to live there? You don't have to. Next time you're tempted to complain. Cuidado. Be careful. Why? Because some complained and they died. Yeah, but God hasn't done that. Grace of God does not limit your responsibility. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with something today, let me warn you, someday you're going to give an account. Okay, you're saved. You're going to heaven. Yeah. Some will sweep the streets and some will be given New York State to rule over. And it won't be, what's his name? <laughs> okay. Whole point being is, when you get there, are, are you interested in hearing you did good? Or are you interested in hearing, well, at least you made it. Let's pray together. Father, our faith, as Jesus said about the disciples, is little. It's weak. We make excuses. We justify. You've asked us to get to know you. To understand what you're like, how you do things. And we have the tendency to like religion, even in a born-again, saved church. It's just so much easier with our little systems. God, give us grace to be uncomfortable with our systems and to learn to walk with you in such a way that brings joy to your heart, that allows us to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. Not hiding sin, but learning how to overcome so that one day we might hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope that's your prayer today, that God would call it increase your faith that he would open your eyes to a better way to walk with him. I can tell you that if God does that for you, here's what it's going to look like. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Paul talks about pressing on toward the mark. We should never feel as though, you know, I've come this far in my Christian walk. I'm good. You, you might be better than yesterday, but believe me, you're still not good. There's still a ways to go. Think about it with me. When Jesus comes back and you see him, what are you going to be like? You're not going to be like a little bit of a better version of yourself. You're going to be like him because you're going to see him as he is. Unfortunately, I think some of us are going to be surprised when we see him because it's kind of like, I didn't realize you were like that. It's in his word. tells us everything we need to know. Spend some time there. This week, get off the phone a little bit more. Maybe you're not going to fast completely from your media. I understand. But try and cut it down from eight hours to five, minutes and, five hours and 47 minutes, you know? If you're doing five hours and 47 minutes, try and cut it down to three. whole point being is invest in your spiritual life. Why? Because someday we're all going to stand before him and give an account. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will be a great thing to hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for your love, for your care, for your mercy, which is new every morning. Thank you for your love that endures forever. Lord, there are times when we've gotten comfortable with that and we need a little shaking up to get us going again. And we ask, Father, that your spirit would be the one that would do that. Now, whether it be through things I've said today or whether it be something the pastor said three weeks ago, no matter to us, we ask that you would shake us up where we need to be shaken up. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Give us grace and understanding so that we may be overcomers for your honor and glory. As this world is rushing headlong towards hell, may we catch a few of them by your grace, through your love. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.